Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists who spend our lives asking tough questions to experts who really know their stuff so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about Omicron and just how worried should we be? As ever, we would like to know what you think. You can tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield or email us on health at mailonsunday.co.uk. Sorry, it's Omicron, is it? No, no. Omicron. 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 There was something else that we heard yesterday. Omicron. Omicron. Oh, that's going to be the new COVID. Oh, yes, COVID. Yeah. We don't want to, no one wants to get COVID. Um, no, it's Omicron. Right, now we've got that out the way, we can talk about the serious stuff, but hopefully not make it too doom and gloom. Or, well, I mean, it depends where you look for your information at the moment. I think that's one of the more interesting things that's emerged in my perspective over the last couple of weeks. Mm. If you open one newspaper, you know, we're all doomed. Mm. You open another one and it's, you know, keep calm and carry on. And it's hard to know what to think in the middle of all that. You know, my personal opinion is always guided by scientists. And and certainly today we've got our reporter, Ethan Ennels, with us. And he's been speaking to scientists. Initially, Ethan, you were quite worried about the whole Omicron, Omicron situation but you were slightly more reassured having interviewed a whole raft of scientists over the last couple of weeks. Yeah totally I think when this variant first arrived on paper the scientists I was speaking to were shocked and a bit terrified because the number of mutations they were seeing but what we are slowly finding out is often something which is scary on paper isn't necessarily scary in practice. For one we know this week that the Pfizer jabs plus a booster, gives you very strong protection still against the variant. And there are early signs coming out of South Africa that this variant appears to be milder. People are still going to hospital, but uh, notably less so far. So, yes, I think there is some cause for optimism, but there is still lots to learn. I mean, certainly I feel pretty gloomy. We've just had a whole raft of new restrictions imposed. Again, it's hard to know exactly where we were at with all that. What's what's going on, Eve? Well, it's very confusing because having been told that, you know, lifting of all restrictions was irreversible, now all of a sudden we've got restrictions again. But they did say that winter might see the reintroduction of masks which is the first thing that came in and now we've got plan b which is masks plus it's all very it's it's work pa- from vaccine. home if you can so i don't know how many i mean you're not legally obliged to work from home right. it's not an order it's guidance so we're not it's not like lockdown where everyone had to stay at home and no. we're, we're not allowed to leave exactly and then of course we've got this new mask mandate rule in shops and in i think it's in restaurants now and all basically all public places it was previously just in shops and on public transport now it's in pretty much all public places and that is a legal requirement and um, you could get a fine you can get a fine although there are strange ethan and i were discussing this earlier there are strange exemptions aren't there so there are exemptions for certain activities eating drinking exercising it's quite hard to drink and eat wearing a mask be kind of hot, this, these, these aren't strange <laughs> but there is one that is strange uh, singing is apparently an exemption 
So uh, someone has pointed out today that that means that if you wanted to walk into a supermarket and sing the whole time, then you'd probably be exempt from wearing your mask. Clever. I do KBF. that when I go into Tesco's <laughs> every day, so I have no problem there. Oh, give us a tune, Eve. No, <laughs> that's for another podcast. Oh, yes, and vaccine passports. Oh, it's something that we've thought was a good idea, or certainly I certainly thought it was a good idea, having run into hordes of unvaccinated people in my gym, because obviously my mum wants to go back to the gym. Maybe she mm. can now. From next week, uh, you will have to show your vaccine passport when you go into certain venues and it's large gatherings. So I think that gyms, you won't have to show a vaccine passport uh. for. So you can't get COVID in the gym, but you can at football matches that Outside, <laughs> I think it's to do with with numbers. So the amount of people that will be in one space at one time, and presumably walking past each other in corridors and in—I mean, I don't know if there are corridors at football matches. I don't Lose. know, Ethan. <laughs> what I would say to this is, vaccine passports have been shown in other countries to work very well. In France, which was incredibly vaccine hesitant, they managed to get their numbers up massively when they told people they couldn't go to their cafes unless they got a vaccine. Our vaccine pass is slightly strange because you can go to a football match without a vaccine. You just need a lateral flow. So if you are hesitant to get a vaccine, this isn't necessarily an incentive to get one because you'll have the out of a test. But is it not about stopping the spread of the virus? It is. But as Barney said, there are obviously places where you can still go without a vaccine pass. I guess this is to limit against a super spreader event, for example. Uh, we saw during the Euros that there were a number of these events at football matches. So I guess it is a good measure in that sense. But if you're using uh, the vaccine pass to get more people vaccinated, which is probably the most important thing we can do right now, uh, this current vaccine pass probably won't do that. And Boris Johnson has hinted as well, hasn't he, that there may be plans for a another even more restrictive vaccine pass project in the future well we we heard from him at the uh, downing street press conference this week that uh mandatory vaccination would be a, a national discussion soon mm. and i guess the argument there is that should we go into any further restrictions questions about freedom will come up because you know right now mandatory vaccination is quite an extreme measure but if it's a choice between making sure everyone gets vaccinated or making every making sure everyone has to stay in their homes again like a lockdown uh the balance might change we might you know might say that it is perhaps unfair that some people remain unvaccinated um, and because of them this pandemic continues and hospitals continue to fill up with unvaccinated people it's interesting what you say about avoiding super spreader events. I mean, my understanding is that all bets are off with this new variant because it's so catchy. Uh, you know, we just don't know what whether it's going to be, you know, running through an office, say, uh, or uh, tube train carriage or, you know, places that we haven't seen necessarily outbreaks so far. I mean, there are huge question marks still. I think before we go any further, we should speak to Ethan. I, I, I think of you as one of my canaries. If you're worried, then I get worried. <laughs> but another one is Fiona Fox, who is director of the Science Media Centre and some, someone many people in the media look to for information and guidance. She has the ear of policymakers and science and everything in between. So it's great to have her on the podcast Fiona, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. I guess my first question is, with Omicron, how worried should we be? 
So the Science Media Centre and I speak to scientists all day, every day, and I know nothing. I'm, I'm a science media relations officer, not a scientist, but we are constantly talking to scientists. And I would say they are concerned. They are definitely, definitely worried about this. This is not where any of them wanted to be. They wish this wasn't happening. If you go back a few months, they were saying things are getting better bar a new variant that was constantly the little bit on the end of their sentences that things seem to be going in the right direction as long as we don't get another variant because they know that that's what happens with these viruses so now we've got another variant and they are very worried that it is more transmissible we still don't know whether it is going to be more severe or to what extent it will escape the vaccine so i would say they are worried and they wish we weren't where we are but they are constantly emphasising the uncertainty here, especially on those two latter points. We just do not know, and it's too early to know. And when we say uncertainty, you know, you have to remain neutral. It's uncertainty either way. It could be better, it could be worse, it could be unexpected. Absolutely, and we do encourage our scientists to speculate as to what those scenarios might be because they've got the expertise over many years to be able to do that. And yes, the rosy scenario is that this is much, 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 much milder and affects younger people more or the people who've only had one vaccine or no vaccines, then it won't necessarily lead to this small percentage of a large number being a large number. That's the real worry is that even if only a small percentage of older people who are double vaccinated get so ill that they have to go to hospital, that's still large numbers. And always, always, always the big worry is the NHS is overwhelmed. So the two scenarios are that we could be facing another situation where the NHS is overwhelmed versus this is very, very mild disease and is is mainly affecting younger people at the moment who, who aren't vaccinated and isn't so serious in older people. And And all our scientists are saying various iterations of that but only before and after they say, we don't know yet. We just don't know yet. But it seems to be that all hopes are that with the booster, that people don't need to fear for their lives as much as they did, say, a year and a bit ago uh, when COVID first hit. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was, was it Chris Whitty or Patrick Valance made the point that this is a setback, but this is not back to square one. So I think that's really important. I'm looking again at what the scientists have been saying in the last two days. I'm not hearing anyone saying that we should put in the kind of restrictions that we had to put in place, or they believed we had to put in place last March when the vaccine wasn't even a thing. So we are in a different situation, but I would emphasise how many scientists make this point about the small percentage of a very, very large number. So if this does run rampant and affects so many people, then even that small percentage who will end up in hospital because of underlying health problems, because they're not vaccinated, because of, because of, it's still large enough to overwhelm the NHS. Yeah, it's the nightmare scenario, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And what would you say the reaction in the scientific community has been to plan B? Is it a positive one? Is this going to do the right thing? Is it going to put us on a right track? Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, now I've been talking to these scientists for for nearly two years. And one of the things I remember them saying to me in January, February, March last year, especially the kind of global infectious diseases experts, the the Martin Hibbard's at LSHTM and people like that, Jeremy Farris, 
you've got to act early. It, you know, this whole thing about the timeline, you know, it takes two, three, four weeks to work out what actually this will look like and to start getting your data in. The problem is that if you wait, if, if those of us who don't want any restrictions, don't want life to change, wait for those three or four weeks and, and crossing our fingers and hoping, the problem is then you've got a much bigger problem on your hands. So the, the, it's one of the kind of Bible almost statements of, you know, we have to act earlier than we want. We have to come down harder than we want. And we have to do it more broadly geographically. It's a point that Patrick Balance always makes. So looking at the quotes that we've been getting in from scientists over the last few days, there seems to be a, a weary, you know, miserable, unhappy sense in which, yes, this plan B that taking some restrictions now before we know how good or bad things will be is epidemiologically sensible. It's a sensible thing to do and, and could even mean less harsh restrictions if we protect the NHS. So I'm not getting any major reaction against Plan B. I'm also, it's worth saying to you that we at the Science Media Centre don't only speak to COVID experts, you know, and I ran a briefing yesterday morning with the Institute for Cancer Research, which was a bit heartbreaking, actually, if I'm honest, about the number of clinical trials in cancer that have been delayed, a very, very articulate exposition of, of how they would like everyone with cancer in the UK to be on the trial. Trials are the best place for cancer patients to be on, working out which drugs will, will uh, treat their condition more effectively. And, they, you know, they were telling us that in the first phase last year, they shut them all down. There, there were no clinical trials happening. Now they're back up and running and they would never shut them down, you know, even if things get bad again. They've learned that. But, you know, there's a very serious delay there. So, of course, if you speak to, and you know, one, one of the cancer experts was at pains to say to the journalists in the room, we lose on average 160,000 people every year from cancer. So similar figures to what we've lost in the UK to COVID in the last two years, we use every year, year on year. And without them being on these clinical trials, that number is going to stay the same. So I would just point that out. We also issued a couple of comments yesterday from mental health experts. One, Professor Neil Greenberg at Institute of Psychiatry, KCL, just pointing to the prospect of further restrictions, the fear now, the psychological effect of thinking, oh, this is what happened last Christmas and now we're, we're back there. Is it going to get worse? Will there be a full lockdown? And the price of that in terms of people's mental health. So I think it's right and proper that the journalists and the public are looking at infectious disease experts and public health experts and COVID-19 experts, but there will be different perspectives across the research community. Well, look, Fiona, I could talk to you about this forever, but it's all we've got time for at the moment. And thanks so much for sparing a few moments out of your busy day. Brilliant. No problem. Good luck. I mean, I think it's a really good point, isn't it? I've lost count of how many stories we've now written saying that COVID has affected this or COVID has affected that outside of the pandemic and the, the virus itself. It seems to have invaded every single area of healthcare in a negative way. And There's I, very few positive stories about, oh, because of things we've learned during the pandemic, we're doing things better. It's delays, it's less treatment it's people not having access it's yeah. it's healthcare professionals mm. quitting in droves you know it's hugely worrying and there just gets to a point where you think how do you resolve all of this at the same time as looking at a mountain of acutely ill patients possibly 
with a respiratory virus. I think what's interesting, and that's kind of what Fiona alluded to when she was talking about the comments that she'd had from some psychiatrists, and I read them and was interested because it seems what they're saying is that what we've seen in the past is you don't actually need, you know, really strict restrictions to turn people off from healthcare and to make this change in their minds that they're not going to go out and seek help for whatever problem that they have. Actually, all you need is is this kind of overall fear that's going on in the community to make them retreat and think I'm not going to go to the doctors when I probably should do and I think that there is worry that you know even with these kind of small set of restrictions that might start happening again. I would add to that perhaps as a counter we know that the government are very unwilling to put these restrictions in without there being real evidence for a a major issue on the horizon and we know the scientists believe that too chris witty is not a massive lockdown fan himself but given the data we're seeing these restrictions may be prudent because we could be seeing a large wave of cases and i don't think anyone wants more restrictions i certainly don't but you know it may just outweigh the risks to mental health and other areas of healthcare right now at least well that's the hope i mean i think what everyone's thinking is is it gonna get worse Mm. are we gonna see january like we did last year full lockdown welcome to the new year please no anything but if things all go terribly wrong it might get in the way of your wedding mightn't it and that would be the worst thing at risk of picking scientists to speak to who will simply paint a rosy picture i was really intrigued by comments from one professor this week who said that we should keep calm get vaccinated and carry on or words to that effect And I found that reassuring. It was Professor Penny Ward, who is Professor of Pharmaceutical Medicine at King's College London. And you've got some questions for her now, haven't you, Eve? I do. Hi, Penny. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Penny, my team and I were really interested in your comments that you gave to the Science Media Centre this week, in which you you didn't seem too fearful of Omicron and said that we all need to keep calm and get boosted and carry on. Does that mean that you're not too worried? Well, uh, we've had uh, a rather brisk outbreak of COVID going on in the UK really pretty much since June and certainly since September when the schools went back. So, We've had a relatively high uh, frequency of COVID and we have really not seen uh, a huge number of hospitalizations or deaths anywhere near the number that we were seeing this time last year and uh, in January, February, March uh, of this year before the vaccine campaign got underway. The in vitro evidence that I've seen so far from the antibody manufacturers, including Pfizer-BioNTech, suggests that actually as long as people get their booster shots, the quantity of circulating antibody should be well sufficient to protect them largely, and in particular, protect them against developing more severe disease, even if they haven't managed to get their booster shot and they've completed an earlier vaccine course. So I think that the most important thing here is for people to get their booster jab when they're eligible Now, obviously, if uh, people have particular risk factors for COVID um, and in spite of being vaccinated, then it's obviously a good idea to pay attention to uh, the spread of virus in the local community and to take steps to protect themselves, including opening the windows, uh, wearing masks, etc., which will help to protect them further should they be exposed to people with infection. 
Uh, and lastly, but by no means least, we also have the lateral flow testing applications, which are made available to us all free of charge from our pharmacies, or we can order them directly uh, to be sent to our homes. And that enables us to uh, self-test regularly to make sure that we're, we are ourselves free of infection before we go and visit anybody who has risk factors for more severe disease were to they to become infected. So if we're sensible and uh, we go about our business in a sensible way, then we ought to feel confident that even if we were unlucky enough to become infected, we really wouldn't get seriously ill and shouldn't need to go to hospital. Well, that's very reassuring. But Professor Ward, I'm really interested to hear from you about what you think of the reporting of Omicron. Do you think that, you know, given what you've just said, that it's been slightly, you know, doom mongering? No, I think that what we're seeing is learning behaviour, really. Um, You may remember earlier in this year that there was a lot of criticism of the government for not acting faster when the Delta variant first became apparent and shutting our borders much more rapidly. So what we've seen this round, really, is um, the rapid shutting of borders when a, a new variant that on the surface of it looks pretty scary from the point of view of its mutation profile to try to prevent the establishment of infection in this country if if we can. Unfortunately, what we've learned over the last few days really is that there is already community spread within the UK with people without uh, evidence of travel-related connectivity becoming infected with this variant. So um, I think, unfortunately, we're going to actually have an outbreak caused by this variant. The question is, how large in size is that? And we're still in the period where we're checking that our presumption that vaccine-related antibodies will continue to protect if kept high enough, that the available monoclonal antibody therapies and that the antivirals that we have in our stockpile now remain effective. Can I ask, um, something that was said at the press conference was by by Chris Whitty, and I thought this described the situation very well, that small percentages of big numbers add up to big numbers. And you talked about community spread. Now, with Delta, we saw Delta replace Alpha pretty much. I guess it must have crowded it out. No one got Alpha. There hasn't been a case of Alpha for more than a month, I think. And even then, they were few and far between. If... Omicron replaces Delta. Will we see a rise in case numbers significantly or will we just see a replacement or will it add to it? We don't know the answer to that question at this point in time. We do have a different situation in this country to the situation in South Africa in that a much higher proportion of our population are fully vaccinated, which gives us a measure of protection against more severe disease and may protect to some extent against community spread if we take additional precautions to try to reduce transmission with what appears to be a more readily transmitted strain. We do know, of course, the Delta wave has not been associated with the hospitalisation rates that occurred with the Alpha wave, which was the earlier part of the year. And if this continues, then, and we don't have a significant and huge peak of illness particularly in more high-risk ends of the population. In other words, the part of the population that is more likely to have been 
boosted with vaccines right now, then hopefully that will keep a lid on the numbers of people needing to go to hospital. But we all have a part to play in this. It's not just about going out and getting your vaccine. It's also thinking about, you know, do I really need to go and do this meeting or that party? Professor Ward, one of the biggest debates, arguably, is whether we should introduce mandatory vaccinations, as they have done in various other European countries. And I wondered where you stood on that. Do you think it would be helpful? I think uh, the quick answer to that is to uh, look what happened when mandatory vaccination was introduced for the social care workforce, where a portion of that workforce preferred to be out of a job than to receive a vaccination. I'm not greatly in favour of uh, mandating medical treatments. I think that's an unfortunate precedent. I think that we need to continue with persuasive and information to enable people to feel comfortable enough to take the vaccines themselves of their own volition. And if there was ever a good time to be vaccinated, it's right now. Absolutely. Great advice. Well, Professor Ward, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Hi, sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. I'd say that I haven't heard a single scientist who would support mandatory vaccination no, for the general I, population. I, I know I haven't either. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've never done it in, in the UK, have we? Or, or not since not since polio? I actually don't know if polio was mandatory. Polio was well taken. Everyone ended up getting their polio, mostly. Well, well there was such huge fear about it, wasn't there? That it was, and I, and I know our columnist, Dr Ellie Cannon, has written about this before. Or maybe it wasn't polio, maybe it was smallpox, something medieval, I don't know. (laughs) But certainly it backfires when it happens, and I've read that partly the reason that Germany, for instance, has a problem with vaccine hesitancy is because they are quick to mandate things like that. Well, in America as well, with children, that um, you you have to have your vaccines to go into a classroom, and there's huge backlash from from The flu jab's almost a complete failure in in America in some some areas because of that, Mm. they say, which is, uh, you know, not a ringing endorsement for bringing it in. I think it would be a huge mistake. What do you think, Eve? I agree. I'm incredibly uncomfortable. By the concept of mandatory vaccination, like Professor Ward said, medical treatment should be of your own volition. But at the end of the day, you also run out of options, I guess, if you're policymakers. If you've done everything you can to encourage people to get their jabs and they still haven't, and those people are still filling up our hospital wards, Mm. what do you do next? I think that's the big question. And maybe it's not the right answer, but we need to find a way to get more people vaccinated. But surely vaccine passports with conviction would do that. You know, if the, if the whole you can't go on holiday without it hasn't got people excited, mm. then, you know, to say that you can't go to a restaurant or you can't go, you know, like they've done in France. But I, we have relatively high levels of vaccine uptake. So is this really what we need to be focusing on? I, d- I don't know whether... I know. think it is. I think right now the people who are ending up in hospital, we know that so many people on wards right now are vaccinated. Half. Half. I think it's half the population in, in hospital is, is unvaccinated, yeah. Proportionally is huge. If mm. you think about the fact that 
they represent something like 10 to 15 percent of the, of the population as a whole to, to have them as just over half of the hospital population i believe it's nuts and france is the prime example here i think when vaccines uh, were rolled out uh, surveys suggested that only 40 percent of the french population were planning to come forward for a jab their vaccine pass was implemented in the new year and they now have a higher vaccination rate than us. Didn't the same happen in Denmark? But they, they implemented the, the vaccine pass in everywhere, basically. It mm. wasn't just large events. Incentives, but not mandates. No, no. So, you know, it makes sense to me. Mm. Mm. Just our vaccine pass in its current form or the form it's about to arrive in perhaps won't do that job. And we have actually have evidence in the UK already. Scotland has its own version of a vaccine pass already for clubs and larger venues, the same in Wales. And what we've seen so far in those areas of the country is that it hasn't impacted infection rates and it hasn't impacted vaccine uptake. And I can't believe it would impact businesses as well. You know, a lot of, not that I'm always going clubbing or anything like that, but people that I know who do say that it's very common to have to produce either a, a negative lateral flow test or proof of vaccination. And it has been ever since clubs reopened. And it's just part of the landscape now. People don't think anything of it. So all of this kind of shroud waving that it's going to destroy businesses, I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, unless you your core clientele is, is hardcore anti-vaxxers. I totally agree. And I therefore, mm. I can't help you. I think it gives people a sense of security as well. I've, I've been out on a few nights recently where you need a lateral flow to get into the club and everyone's happy to do it because it makes you more comfortable and happier to enjoy your night without worrying about COVID so much. So I think we can conclude that it's not too much of an inconvenience, but will it work? Will it stop lockdowns is the thing that everybody wants to know. Just don't close the gym or get in the way of Eve's wedding. Those two, yeah, those two things are very central. Overall, though, the thing that reassures me most is this discussion with the booster. We're probably going to be okay. We don't need to tell our elderly relatives to hide in the living room. And we can, you know, as long as we get boosted, keep calm and carry on. And I think that what's interesting is that there was reports of these rising hospitalizations in South Africa, and that was being used as evidence that, you know, Omicron is much more severe and, and can result in actually the opposite to what we previously thought was it was going to be milder. Actually, it could it's going to be more serious and land more people mm. in hospital. But of course, that's just simply because they've got a huge number of cases. So, of course, their hospitalizations are going up. So I think that the way that it's being reported is perhaps worrying people unnecessarily in some respects mm. well we'll have to see and that's all we've got time for you'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's the mail on sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts videos opinion pieces and more you can follow us on twitter by searching at mail plus we'll be back with another topic on medical minefield next week see you then goodbye